The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a very special guest with us, Dr. Robert Shin. He also goes by Bob. He is a graduate of Yale University and received his medical degree from the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. He completed a neurology residency and fellowships in neuro-ophthalmology and multiple sclerosis at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Shin is currently professor of neurology at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital and director of the Georgetown MS and Neuroimmunology Center. Dr. Shin has a special interest in health disparities and multiple sclerosis, as well as visual problems associated with MS and other demyelinating disorders. On today's episode, Dr. Shin and I talk about vision changes in MS and differences between MS and some of its common lookalike diseases, like NMOSD and MOG. Bob, thank you so much for being here with us today. Sure. It's a pleasure. I'm excited. Yeah. You are the first person that we have had on the Missing Link podcast to talk on this topic. And I know I have lots of questions each week in my email inbox and social media about vision. So I feel like you are more of an expert than anyone I know. So I can't wait to ask you all my questions. Oh yeah. Fire away. Awesome. So I thought today we would start off really, really basic because there's so many different types of vision symptoms that someone with MS might experience. So can you explain what some of those are and which ones are more common than others? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, I try to break it down as to either trouble seeing. So that could be like blurred vision, inability to see something. Usually in MS, that'll affect one eye or the other. So that's one kind of type of vision issue would be vision loss. But people living with MS may also experience double vision. So they may see multiple images or maybe they're driving and they see multiple lane lines. And so that can be very confusing. So double vision or diplopia can be another type of MS related visual issue. And then maybe a third category would be shaking vision. So the eyes keep moving. And we talk about if the eyes are rhythmically moving, we call that nystagmus. And nystagmus can lead to oscillopsia, which is the perception that the visual world is moving. So really it could be any of those things, vision loss, double vision, or shaking vision or oscillopsia. Yeah, that's a lot of different types of things. Nystagmus (laughs) rings a bell. I remember learning about that in PT school because that can occur with some forms of vertigo. Is that right? When people have nystagmus, not only is the world shaking, but they also feel dizzy or they may experience vertigo, as you said. 
It's a good point that nystagmus isn't always MS. You could have it due to other neurological issues, strokes, brain tumors, but in MS, among many other things, MS can also affect the cerebellum and that could absolutely cause nystagmus. Yeah. So what about optic neuritis? I feel like that's a big buzzword as to one of the symptoms, vision symptoms that you might experience and maybe one of the first symptoms of MS. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So optic neuritis, if you really break down the term, means inflammation of the optic nerve. So our eyes in the front of our face are connected to the brain by these cables, the optic nerves. And those nerves are heavily myelinated. So remember, myelin helps nerves to conduct signals faster. So these heavily myelinated optic nerves are a big target for MS. MS likes to cause inflammation of the optic nerve, which causes blurring of vision. It can also cause some discomfort or pain, especially on eye movements. Because when you move your eyeballs left, right, up, or down, the nerve in the back of the eye is also kind of being jiggled around. And so that can cause some discomfort. People may also notice either a blind spot in their vision or trouble seeing colors, like bright colors might look really faded. So all of those are signs of optic neuritis or inflammation of the optic nerve that in MS is almost always one eye or the other. But as you mentioned, that phenomenon, optic neuritis may actually be the first symptom of multiple sclerosis. In fact, it depends on the studies, maybe 25% of people or so may have experienced optic neuritis as the very first thing in their journey, you know, maybe before they even realized what was going on. Wow. That's a pretty high percentage considering MS is so variable with so many different types of symptoms. Do we know why? Well, it's a great question. I can make up a couple different answers. <laughs> One would be that humans are extremely visual, right? Not like our, you know, our dogs, they, they mostly like to smell or, you know, other animals have awesome hearing, but human beings do everything with vision. We read, we look at our phones, we watch television, we drive, we, you know, we're on the computer, everything we do is visual. So if we have some sort of problem with one of our eyes, it's actually pretty hard to ignore it, right? So one possibility for why it's so common as a presenting symptom is that you definitely notice it. And it's also something that's going to take someone to a doctor. You're going to be like, I got to check this out. I'm having trouble seeing. Other MS symptoms can be more subtle, like fatigue. You might be like, I think I'm just tired or mood disturbance, which is common, like maybe a prodrome of MS. You, you, you might not think that this is an attack of anything. Even numbness and tingling, if we're honest, can be easy to ignore. Oh, I think I just slept on my arm funny or oh, I, I, maybe I worked out too hard, right? So there's a lot of subtle symptoms of MS that might not get you to medical. But if you lose vision in an eye, you're gonna be like, I gotta go see someone. So, so it is possible that that's part of why it's so common or maybe there is something special. Remember I mentioned the optic nerves are heavily myelinated. In other words, they're a big target. And so maybe a combination of these factors is why it's such a common presenting symptom. Yeah. Both of those make a lot of sense. That is true. If I had any type of pain or change in my vision, that would be a red flag for me immediately. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk bigger picture now. So whether it is optic neuritis in one or the other eye or vision loss, blurred vision, double vision, all these symptoms you've mentioned, will that go away? Will regular vision return? And if so, will it return fully 
or partially? How does that work? Yeah, another great question. We probably know optic neuritis the best just because it's been very thoroughly studied. What we know about optic neuritis is that really 90% of the time or greater, it is going to get better. In fact, if you have optic neuritis, 90 some percent of the time, it's going to be back to quote unquote normal. Now, normal in the eye world is defined as 2040 or better. So I do know a lot of individuals who have had optic neuritis, where even if it's quote unquote normal, if they compare one eye to the other, they can always tell, oh yeah, you know, this eye isn't quite as good. But the point is that if you have optic neuritis, odds are you're going to recover. And I want to say, I want to kind of emphasize that's actually whether or not you get any kind of treatment. So your listeners may be aware, and I'm sure you're aware that often MS episodes are treated with things like corticosteroids to try to speed up the recovery of that issue. But I've occasionally had people say, oh my gosh, like I didn't go to a doctor. Maybe my doctor didn't, you know, offer treatment. I never got treated. And they sometimes they feel bad, like, oh my gosh, I missed out. I just want to be clear that optic neuritis recovers whether or not you get steroids. The only difference really is that steroids might make the recovery faster. So it might speed it up, but if you're going to recover, you're, you're going to get it back anyway. You know. Wow. That's assuring because I know a lot of people would not be able to get into their doctor's offices quickly enough. You know, again, if you have a vision change, you're going to be freaking out probably and want to get in as soon as possible. Sure. So that is nice to hear that while it might not recover as quickly, it will recover on its own. Yeah, as a general statement, for sure. What I would say is more significant for your listeners or people who have experienced it, optic neuritis is a signal to get checked out, not just about the optic neuritis, but to find out whether you might have MS or not. I also should emphasize optic neuritis isn't always multiple sclerosis. It could be could just happen as a one-time only fluke, to be honest with you. Sometimes it is the presenting symptom of multiple sclerosis, but we've also learned about other conditions like NMO spectrum disorder. I don't know if you, you might cover this in another podcast or MOG, myelin oligodendrocyte glycoprotein disorder. So there's a number of different conditions that can cause optic neuritis. So what I would say is if it occurs, odds are you're going to improve but it's still good to be evaluated so that we can figure out where that came from, right? Because now there are a lot of good treatment options for MS as well as NMO. And so if we can figure it out, the earlier, the better, basically. Yeah. I remember years and years, maybe four or five years ago, I went to a conference in the Boston area that was called the Rare Neuroimmune Disease Conference. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away by how many diagnoses they were talking about that were yeah. similar to MS. And you just mentioned a few of those. So we have not talked about that yet on the Missing Link podcast. So can you share with us what neuromyelitis optica and MOG and what are the most common differential diagnoses and how do you tell what you have? Sure. Well, if we think about, for example, let's say somebody shows up it's like, oh, well, yeah, it's weird. I'm having trouble. Actually, I've heard people, oh, I thought there was like a smudge on my glasses, but then I realized I wasn't wearing glasses or something. You know, it's like a weird blurring of vision, maybe with some discomfort or aching or pain on eye movements. And you get it evaluated and it looks like optic neuritis. One of the first things that's going to happen is you're going to get an MRI scan. And that might not be to just look at the optic nerve. It may be to look at the brain, maybe even the spinal cord. You're like, why do I need to look there? It's like, well, 
we know that you have optic neuritis, but we're looking for evidence of demyelination somewhere else, like in the brain or brainstem or spinal cord. And your provider may send some blood tests. So they're just regular old blood draw, but we check for very special antibodies in your blood. Sometimes people have antibodies to something we call aquaporin-4 or AQP4. It's aquaporin means water channel, but you might have an antibody to aquaporin-4. If you do, that tells us, oh, you have a condition called neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorder or NMOSD. And that condition has its own treatments. It can resemble MS, but is a little bit different. So again, that's why we want to check it out. Another possibility would be that you'd have antibodies to something we call myelin oligodendrocyte glycoprotein. So MOG, MOG, MOG. And if that's present, then you have something we call, I mean, we just have all these ridiculous names, something we call MOGAD, M-O-G-A-D, MOG antibody disorder. And that's something that we're learning more about. Now, I have to tell you, let's say 15, 20 years ago, we did not even know these other conditions existed. We just thought they were all like versions or subtypes of MS. It's taken us time to realize, oh, actually, if we pay close attention and we, we are careful in our initial workup, these are actually separate distinct disorders. So again, optic neuritis, you know, good to know, you'll probably recover really what the important thing is for us to figure out why did it happen? And then figure out, you know, if we find one of these conditions, try to get you on some sort of effective therapy as soon as possible. Yeah, you're so right. I've treated lots and lots of people with MS, but also NMO, transverse myelitis, and they can present very similarly weakness in one or both of the legs, spasticity, balances off. And so just visually, just looking at someone, it might appear that they have MS or NMO, you know, something that it might not be. And so many people with MS that I've worked with were misdiagnosed with something else prior Mm -hmm. to MS. So I totally agree that it is important to figure out what is going on, mostly for the treatment, because as you mentioned, they are treated differently. Are they all treated with medications or what would the next step be once you determine what it is? Yeah, another great question. When it comes to multiple sclerosis, there have been so many advances over the past 20, 30 years. Now it's probably, I mean, it takes forever to even list all of the different options for treating multiple sclerosis. So I would just say in general, if you have multiple sclerosis, definitely you want to have conversations about which of the many different treatment options makes the most sense for you. But if you have something like NMO, which as you mentioned, not just optic neuritis, but can be characterized by this inflammation in the spinal cord, which we call transverse myelitis, as you did. Well, NMO spectrum disorder, especially when you have those antibodies against aquaporin-4 in your blood, has its own set of treatment options. In the United States, there are three different FDA-approved treatments for NMO spectrum disorder. They are not the same as the treatments for multiple sclerosis. So it's not like, well, just sort of just pick something and it'll cover both. No, it's MS needs MS treatments. NMO needs NMO treatments. MOG, M-O-G, it's a little bit We're learning more about it as we speak. So there are no official FDA approved treatments for that, but there is a lot of research into how we can best treat it. And I I have to be honest and say, treatment of MOG might end up being subtly different from either MS or NMO. So, you know, I think of them all as, as essentially potentially treatable, but it is our job to figure out which condition it is so that we know exactly the best way to treat it. 
Yeah. So would you suggest that if someone does have a diagnosis currently, whether it is MS or something else, and if they're on medication and they feel like it's not helping, at what point, if any, would you suggest that they go back and ask to be tested for one of these other similar diagnoses? What I would say is certainly at the beginning, it's always nice now, now that we're in the year 2022, it's nice to say from the beginning, let's make sure to check for these conditions right up front. However, as you mentioned, people may have, a, I've been diagnosed, I was diagnosed five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years, you know, so we may have been assuming that it is multiple sclerosis and, and, you know, most of the time, let's say it will be. And if you're responding well to treatment, I would say that's fine. But as you said, but what if maybe things aren't going well, or, or maybe it's not behaving the way we expect. Maybe there's a lot of activity despite the treatments you're taking. And this is a little bit of a subtlety, but if you're attuned to it, sometimes the MRI scans do look a little bit different. You know, the three conditions may subtly look different, whether it's the appearance of the demyelination in the spinal cord or the location that's involved, something like that. Then I would say, yeah, I would have a low threshold, meaning I would be easily encouraged to just go ahead and send off those tests. It's just easy. If it's never been done, it's a blood test, just a regular blood draw, and then you can just double check. Again, for someone who's carried an MS diagnosis for a long time, who's doing really well and everything looks very typical for MS, I don't want to rock the boat and, and cause people to question it. But as you frame the question, but what if, wait a minute, this is weird. Like I'm, I'm taking my medicine as I should, but I'm still having issues. Yeah, absolutely. I would consider it. Yeah. And I like the way that you phrased it. Maybe a better way to think about it isn't let me go get a different diagnosis, but rather have I been tested mm -hmm. for these other things? And if right. not, then, you know, maybe, but yeah, that's, it's a tricky question because so many MS medications aren't designed to improve your symptoms is just to maintain and slow yeah. the progression. So Absolutely. yeah, that, that's a tricky one. Great answer though. <laughs> One final thing too, about the rare neuroimmune disease conference that I was at mm -hmm. is MS was not part of that conversation because yeah. MS was considered to not be rare compared to some of these other ones. So yeah. it's interesting because MS is becoming more common, unfortunately, but we do know much more compared to, as you mentioned, NMOSD or MOG or some of the other ones, that's definitely more recent. So yeah. Yeah. MS there. is not a rare disease anymore. You know, there was a time when we said, well, maybe one in a thousand Americans has MS or less. And that that's kind of borderline rare. But as your listeners may be aware, there was recently a study that revealed that almost a million Americans probably have MS. Maybe not everyone realizes it yet, but a million Americans with MS, that's a lot. And, th and that actually isn't considered a rare disease anymore. It's something we definitely need to be on the lookout for, especially because at least in my opinion, this is a condition that can be very effectively treated. So it kind of behooves us to find it, you know, as early as possible, wherever it might be, you know, because we can actually do a lot about it. Yeah. And so with some of these vision symptoms that we're talking about, sounds like the first step would be a figuring out a potential diagnosis. Do you ever additionally send them to a vestibular therapist or a physical therapist? Or do you just wait, see what happens, and then go from there? Well, it's a great question that'll sort of depend on what symptoms 
the person is experiencing. So let's say it was an episode of transverse myelitis and they have a lot of weakness and hundred percent, they should be seeing you, right? They should be getting physical therapy and getting uh, someone should work with them. Um, if there is a lot of dizziness or vertigo, because maybe brainstem or inner ear involvement was present, then yeah, vestibular therapy can be super helpful for vision itself. If it's pure vision loss, or maybe the double vision issue I was mentioning. Some of that is really partly time for recovery. I mentioned you may get steroid treatments to speed your recovery, especially if it's a double vision issue, but even if it's optic device, you may get referred to a neurologist or maybe a super specialist like a neuro-ophthalmologist, which is someone, a neurologist and ophthalmologist, kind of in between neurology and ophthalmology, and they handle these neurological vision issues to see if you know, do we need a different pair of glasses? Do we need prisms? Do we need some other technique to, to compensate for it? So it's hard to have a one size fits all answer. As, as you know, people living with MS, each one, everybody's different, right? How MS affects them is, can be different. But, but I guess I would say generally there is something that can be done. We just need to match it to exactly what's happening. Yeah. Well, that's really insightful and eye-opening no pun intended. Is there anything else that any other questions that you get frequently or pieces of information that you feel like is worth sharing that we haven't reviewed yet? Well, when it comes to vision in MS, although one is, as I, as we started the podcast discussing, there can be a number of different ways MS can affect vision, but maybe what I would emphasize is first of all, almost all of those different kinds of visual issues can be addressed in collaboration with therapist or your neurologist or maybe a neuro-ophthalmologist, depending on what the condition is. But maybe what I would emphasize is, but we should always be looking at the symptom in a broader context, which is, okay, what caused this episode? Exactly what condition is it? Even if we have the diagnosis secure, let's say it's definitely multiple sclerosis. If you have a relapse while you're on treatment, I'm going to ask myself, hey, can we do better? You know, my goal of, of treating MS is to shut it down completely. You know, I, I don't want to put up with say, well, you know, you can have a, you know, have some demyelination here or there. I'd be like, no, now my goal is to shut it down. So whatever the visual symptom is, whether it's loss of vision, double vision, shaking vision, I would say, get it checked out, not just to address that symptom, but to make sure we're doing everything we can, that we're taking advantage of all of the uh, advances we've made in treatment to just get your MS under the best possible control. Absolutely. And there is so much research being done right now. The more years go by, the more research is happening in so many different areas. So I love that. And just checking in with your doctors, you never know, there might be something new compared to the last few years. So that's such a great point. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. And I will put a link in the show notes if anyone does want to learn a little bit more about Dr. Bob or his clinic that he works at. So you can check the show notes for that. Awesome. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. 
If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.